Dear Lord, I thank you for your word and I pray, Lord, as we meditate on it right now, as we draw our attention to it, please help us to cast all of our uh, anxieties and uh, things that distract us, help us to, to shelve those and deal with them later and to focus right now on hearing your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is life good? Is life good? Uh, it can be good. Um, we've just finished summer. Well, we're still in summer, technically, but the, you know, the kids are back at school and uh, people are sort of ramping up to get back into 2024, even where one-twelfth all the way through the year. Uh, we love to just um, delay work as much as possible. That's, that's the human nature. Well, that's my human nature. Uh, and life can be good. Beaches, sunshine, ice cream, until, of course, um, it's, it's not good. Making life work actually takes a lot of work. I don't know if you've noticed that. To, to, to make your life good takes a lot of energy and effort. And actually, I think that's the problem. That's part of the problem of this world. This, this order of things as we know it, this age that we're living in as we know it, will one day, according to the Bible, will one day pass away. This order of things, the things we know about right now, the way we deal with life right now, will one day be ancient history. And I think that's fantastic. Because the Bible reminds us again and again in different ways, if, with different language, that heaven is real. And this life is not heaven. Uh, we prayed the Lord's Prayer and we said, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're, we're looking forward to God's kingdom established well and uh, uh, truly and that this order will be passed away. Now, there are times in life right now when we feel strong and productive. There's no doubt about that. You're young, you're fit, you're active, you've got a, a, a comfortable job, the, the money's coming in. You, you can feel like, okay, I'm established, you can climb a mountain, you can kick goals, you can just feel like you're productive in this life and, there's, and you're going to the gym. There's all, all these, these stages in life where you think that's, that's it, but then... Something can happen, can't it? Something beyond your control. There's nothing that you could have done to stop it. And it doesn't matter whether you're a king or a cleaner. We all suffer. One moment we feel like we could live forever and then bad news comes and suddenly we feel we need help from others, uh, even strangers who you've never met before who are invading your privacy. We're dependent on doctors and nurses and we rely on medicine that we've never heard of before and we bow before sickness and death. As we turn to Mark's Gospel, what I want us to do in this series is to remember why we bother with Jesus, why Jesus is worth bothering with. And in Mark chapter 5, we meet two strangers, two people who would never have crossed paths. They... They weren't allowed to cross paths. You see, there's a synagogue leader and this woman who had chronic bleeding. And Leviticus chapter 15 in the Old Testament, in God's laws, in Leviticus 15, explains how a woman with continual bleeding uh, would not be allowed to make contact with Jews who want to be in a synagogue. And a synagogue leader, by definition, needs to be in the synagogue. Contact with her, by Jewish law, makes others unclean. But they're joined together in this story. Two, two strangers, never to cross paths, uh, are in the same story. They're joined together because of their desperation for help. They have a desperate need for Jesus to meet with him. And they, they both believe that Jesus can do it. And they think it's worth bothering him. So let's meet these two strangers. First one is Jairus. We meet Jairus. He's the synagogue leader. In Mark chapter 3, a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus had visited a synagogue and he healed a man during the synagogue service, which was on the Sabbath. It was on the holy day. 
And that upset the synagogue leaders. They were a bit upset with Jesus. He rocked their boat and that was, didn't go down well with them. And here in chapter 5, we meet Jairus, who is a synagogue leader. So perhaps in, under normal circumstances, Jairus may not have gone out of his way to see Jesus. I'm, I'm reading into things here a little bit, but perhaps uh, it might not have gone down so well with the synagogue leader conference centre, you know, that he's, he's mingling with Jesus. But Jairus, you see, he's not just a, a synagogue leader. It's very clear in this passage that he's come to Jesus as a father and his daughter is dying and once she's gone, she's gone. I'm sure, no doubt, that he prayed for his daughter, no doubt that he did everything in his power to help his daughter, but you just can't stop death and you can't undo it, can you? Everyone suffers in this world, everybody In verse 22, Mark chapter 5, verse 22, when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. The man showed desperation. You can see him falling at Jesus' feet. That's not something you do lightly. Uh, And he pleads with Jesus. He would like Jesus to stop death. That's his request. That's his prayer to Jesus. Well, Jesus went with him, but before he reaches Jairus' home, uh, the dying daughter, another person uh, in pain comes to Jesus. And so we meet the woman, um, who's a a lot more like us than we we think at first. You see, in verse 25, we're told that a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. At the time that Jairus' daughter was born, this woman started bleeding. It's a strange connection that Mark actually draws out for us if we have eyes to see. She had a chronic uh, bleeding condition that had gone on and on and on, for 12 years she tried everything you might just imagine what that means Uh, with many doctors and spending a lot of money she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors wouldn't you just want to take that suffering from her just get rid of it just remove it she suffered physically she suffered financially and she suffered socially anyone who came in contact with her was in the jewish uh, circles was considered under uh, was considered unclean She wasn't dying from this illness, uh, but life was hell. We empathise with her, right? We want her sickness to go away. We want Jairus' daughter to be healed. There's no doubt that the readers of this story, we know what we want. But the physical condition of this woman actually points to a spiritual condition that we all have. I want to read to you from Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. We have all become, according to Isaiah 64, all of us have that condition that this woman has, that her physical condition points to in a religious setting. God says spiritually we've become like her and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Do you see the connection there? We all shrivel up like a leaf 
and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Even our best efforts to make life work, to do life well and to get everything in all our ducks in order and to, to be established and confident and well, all of our best efforts to do life well are described here in, in Isaiah as filthy rags. We just fall short uh, of, of God's glory, his holiness. And our spiritual problem, even, even with our best efforts, is that there is a great separation between us and God. Uh, we are unclean before him. We are like filthy rags. We are all outcasts. And we need to be brought back into harmony with God. That's our most serious problem that needs solving. And because of sin, Isaiah 64 again, because of sin, uh, death sweeps us away. You see, death is present because sin is present in our world. A result of the curse of sin coming into this world means that we have suffering and we have death. So these two stories of Jairus's daughter, or Jairus and his daughter, and the, and the young woman... Uh, these two things are connected because they're connected through sin. I'm certainly not saying that the daughter died because Jairus did something wrong, nor did the girl have sickness because she did something specifically wrong. Jesus teaches us that's not good theology. But because these women, the girl and the woman, are living in this current order of things that we're currently living in right now, then they suffer physically and ultimately death comes the problem of suffering and death is is universal and in the end we ought to we ought to be desperate for the, for a solution to this uh, not not band-aids we don't want to just band-aid life and then do life as good as we could we actually want this these two problems solved if that's actually possible and like the two strangers in the story both decided to bother jesus with their problems both of them came to jesus and so the woman when she came to jesus the woman uh, came to him secretly because she doesn't want her condition to be publicised. She risks everything and enters the crowd to come to Jesus. It's ironic, isn't it, to, that to go secretly she comes in the crowd. But she doesn't confront Jesus. She's secret, stealthily approaching him. And she, uh, she risks everything and enters the crowd to come to Jesus. She says, if I, if I just touch his clothes... She teaches herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. The language there is not that she thinks she might be healed or it's worth a try, but she says, no, if I can just touch him. She has known, she's heard something about Jesus that's given her the confidence to say, my faith is in him. I believe he's the answer to all my problems. I just need to be connected to him. I just need to touch him. Well, the minute that she reached out to him, she was healed. Mark says, immediately. Imagine that. Just imagine. She knew that the problem was over. She'd been conscious of this in her body over a decade, nonstop discomfort and shame, and now she knows that it's over. She's fresh. And despite the crowd, despite, the, despite her desire for secrecy, she wants to be, um, go under the radar. Jesus knows that she's there, and he determines to draw her out. He wants to know her. He draws her out from hiding. He determines to know who in the crowd has come today to him in faith. Who is this woman who's approached Jesus? The woman came, and Mark says, the woman came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. Well, what does he say to her? He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace 
and be freed from your suffering. Go in peace and be free. She would have loved any of the doctors who have been able to say that to her. In all those years, I imagine that she'd probably given up hope to hear those words, to go in peace and to be free. She's now free from the financial burden, the, the, the social suffering, and, and in, in just over a week, she'll be able to go back to the synagogue. It's fantastic. She came to Jesus with no money, nothing that she brought in a hand to Jesus, just that he, she would connect with him and it was her faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Her trust in him paid off. Then we, ha- then we move to Jairus. There's the tone. Uh, well, Jesus, Jesus went on uh, to Jairus' home, uh, Jairus' house. Before he gets there, though, he's told that the little girl is dead. And they say to Jesus, they say to Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother him. Uh, what good are words even from a healing teacher? They, Jairus, even Jairus wanted the death to be prevented. But death has come and they all presume it's too late. Death has the final word, doesn't it? But actually Jesus speaks to the Father and says, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus ignores the mourners. What do they know? Uh, and they laugh at him because they think they know more than him. He's a fool. Little do they know that death doesn't have the final word. That Jesus says, little girl, get up. And she got up. You can imagine the reaction in the room. It's probably like now, just death, deathly silence. Everyone's frozen. Doesn't, they don't know what to do next. Their jaws are just hanging around, down to their waists. Death has, death has been ignored. Jesus spoke and death got out of the room. This is unheard of. This is a miracle of... It's, it's amazing. The people in the room don't know what to do, so Jesus says, get the girl something to eat. It's amazing. It's even more incredible. You know, He doesn't say, well, look, let it rest for another week and she'll be fine. No, she's already fine. Uh, just give her, a, give her something light and build the food up over time. No, give her whatever she wants. She's no longer dead. She's alive. She's not less dead. It's a very practical instruction. Isn't it? There's, no, there's, no more, there's no need to treat her anymore with medicine or rest. Treat her like any other living person and get her some lunch because that's who, he, who she is. I remember that when we're told that Jesus rose from death to life, that one of the, one of the beautiful things, one of my favourite stories is in the end of John's Gospel where he ate um, a, a fish breakfast with his disciples. They sat around and they ate with him. Jesus wasn't spiritually risen from the dead. He was risen from the dead. This girl wasn't spiritually risen from the dead. She was risen, raised from the dead. And friends, this happened because they because Jesus bothered with them. How do we, how do we connect their stories to ours? Uh, you, perhaps you've already um, listened and done, made the connections in, in your mind, but there's a, some clues that Mark gives us, which you may not catch the first reading, but as you wrote, read the scriptures, one of our jobs is to, is to read slowly and carefully and notice the language that's being used there. Let me just point out to you that in Mark's, as Mark retells this story of Jairus and the woman, all in one story, 
that they're bundled together and there's a lot of touching, there's a lot of physical contact in this story. Just a couple of examples. Twice we're told about the large crowd that pressed around Jesus. We're already at the very beginning of the story where we're given this tactile environment where we can picture Jesus and he's just surrounded by human bodies everywhere. Uh, They they were crowding around and uh, and pressed around Jesus. Uh, Jairus asks Jesus to come and put his hands on his dying daughter. This physical touch is what Jairus asks Jesus to do. The woman in the crowd believes that if she could just touch his clothes, then she would be healed. Jesus demanded to know who touched him. And then as Jesus stands beside the girl's bed, he took her by the hand and tells her to get up. There's a lot of physical contact in this story. I think Mark has intentionally put this here, how tactile it is. And why is that? Do you see that, that Jesus is the unseen God who has come down and stood among us? He, he's, he's come down and made his, his name known. Jesus is God in the flesh, the flesh and blood God no longer crying out in desperation for our healing of our physical suffering and death to be cured and to cry out to an empty space to the God who is somewhere. But now they cry to the God who is here and they are able to come to him and touch him and ask him to come to their house and perform a miracle. A friend of mine said once that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And if you do the maths, he's 200% awesome. It's a cute line, isn't it? But he is the God-man, the one who, who, like nobody else in the history of mankind who ever lived or ever will live, we guarantee that he is the solution to, all our, to our problems. He is the one. We found him he's, because he found us, because God bothered to come to his creation. Jesus bothered, bothered enough with our problem of sin and death that he has left He's thrown above and became one of us. Just like in the story, it begins with Jesus who crossed over the other side to join with the crowd. He has come from the far side to come to us. He was flesh and blood. And the problem of sin and death is solved in front of our eyes when God became flesh. And responding to our spiritual problem of being separated from God, being unclean and unright, being filthy rags, responding to that problem, Jesus says to us, go in peace. My death on the cross has set you free. Go in peace. And responding to our mortal problem, Jesus says, little child, get up. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Friends, Jesus changes everything. He, he's, he changes everything. The lesson here is not to come to Jesus and he will take away your difficulties. Well, that... That may very well be true. God can do anything. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, for example, reminds us that that's not the way that God operates. The the famous Apostle Paul cried out again and again and again, pleaded with God that that what he described as a thorn in his side would be taken from him. But God's answer was, no, you keep the thorn in your side. My grace is sufficient for you. So 2 Corinthians 15. Uh, 12 is enough for us to know that theologically God doesn't just take away all our sicknesses if we if we ask him Uh, he does hear our prayers and he does always do what is good and right and of course we know that the woman 
who was healed from the bleeding and the little girl who was brought back to life again, both of them are now in the grave, asleep, waiting for the resurrection. Their life came to an end. We know that death, because of this story and because of the resurrection of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament that, that, proclaim, that explains the theology to us, we know that death is not the final word. That Jesus uh, told the mourners, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. That's the state of those who die in Christ. He is the conqueror over death for us. All we need to do, like Jairus and like the woman, is to believe, to come to him, not wondering maybe he could perhaps, but to spend time listening to the scriptures, to hearing the stories of Jesus and be convinced yourselves that this is a spectacularly, singularly unique man who is not just like us, he is God in the, in the flesh. He restores us back into community with God because he is in fact the God-man who paid the price and went through the torture of buying us back um, from the wrath of God. These stories are both actually resurrection stories. Both the little girl and the woman, their lives are restored. Now I could go to 1 Corinthians 15 and we could explore this, that whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, about how death... Uh, no longer has uh, a sting. Uh, death is no longer the victorious one. But I want to actually go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe Every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There's our hope of eternity. We actually now live in the old order of things. But we don't live in the Old Testament times. We live in the New Testament age where God has sent his son, died on the cross to, as a way of forgiving our sins, for paying the penalty of sin and rising to life again to say that death on the cross was, was victorious and, and this is the first of many. Jesus' resurrection is the first of many resurrections. And if you die in Christ, then you will be guaranteed a, a resurrection future with Jesus. And this is the image of, of this future. That we live in the old order of things where things do die and we suffer, but one day this order will be cast aside like a corpse Gone will be the way that we try so hard these days to get life working and there'll be a new order of things. Far from being far away from us, God bothered to dwell with us and he, uh, he will dwell with us again. He'll reach out his mighty, almighty hand and tenderly wipe away the tears from our eyes. All this trouble in our world will be, will be done away with all because Jesus was bothered to come to us. And friends, if you agree that these issues in this life of suffering and death are a great tragedy and we're desperate to get them fixed, then come to Jesus because Jesus changes everything. Let me pray. Father, we ask you to grow in us a conviction of who Jesus is and an assurance that his death and resurrection means that our sins are paid for 
and our life is eternally hidden in him. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to live this life, not trying to establish heaven on earth, but, Lord, coming to Jesus, bothering to know him, to regard him as our Lord and King and Saviour. Father, help us in our trial here on earth to persevere and to always and each day put our trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.